How's everyone doing this morning? Uh, so good to see be here today. Uh, I know that a lot of us right now, many of us are out of town and enjoying our vacations, but I'm glad that you guys chose to be here today. If you can fix my mic, that'd be great, but we're going to go to the book of Luke chapter chapter 14, chapter 11, sorry. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Remain standing with me as we go to this word. The Bible says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with, notice, this was the Mary who anointed Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, him who you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God. So the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's a good point. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer. Notice, he stayed two days longer in that place where he was. Now I want to jump over to verse 14. And I want you to see this. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Let's go to verse 21. Pick some monitor. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now I know that whatever you ask for God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection of the day. But notice now to verse 39. And we'll close with this. Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I want to preach just on that subject. You will see the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for bringing us this morning, Lord, on this holiday weekend to just learn your word. I pray that you would use me to speak truth to everyone here today or listening online. And bless us with your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. The word of God says you will see the glory of God. There's a few things about this scripture that spoke to me as I read it this week because one of the last verses we read, the Bible says, you will see the glory of God, not that you're seeing it now. So already there's some spiritual truth there because it's showing us that sometimes in your life, 
you're just not going to see God. Sometimes in your life, you're not going to see the glory of God. There are things that are going to happen in your life that you're not going to say, oh, obviously this is God. Obviously God is up to something good. Obviously the Lord is getting ready to bless me. In fact, the fact that the Bible says you will see the glory of God is really saying that in life there's going to be seasons you're not going to see the glory of God. And this was one of those moments. See, the Bible says that there was a woman named Mary who Jesus loved. And this is the Mary that anointed Jesus with oil, wiped him with her hair. She was passionate. She gave the most expensive perfume. She was a very devout believer in Jesus Christ. But the Bible says that her brother died. But before he died, he was sick. And in her faith and in her hope, she sends word to Jesus. She sends someone to go get Jesus and say, hey, can you fix this right now? Can you come and heal him? Because I know that right now he's sick. But Lord, I know that you work miracles. I know you can change it. I know and I believe. So she kind of sends out this guy to go get someone, to go get Jesus, to bring him back and fix everything. And when Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick, I want you to notice that in verse 4, the Bible says that Jesus told his disciples and that messenger, this is not going to end in death. So Jesus says, he's not going to die. So can you imagine now this messenger going back home, going back to Mary and Martha and saying, I saw Jesus, I gave him your message, he heard everything, and Girl, I got good news for you. Jesus just said he's not going to die. Imagine now the hope, the relief, the excitement, the joy that she's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. He's not going to die. Everyone, he's not going to die. He's sick, but don't worry. He's not going to die. And then we fast forward to verse 14 and the guy dies. And Jesus, notice verse 4, it's not going to end in death. And Jesus himself says in verse 14, oh, Lazarus is dead. Now let's stop being Christian for a second. How many would say, well, I think you were wrong, Lord. Show me your hands. Yes. I would have been like, Jesus, I think you got it wrong. Because you said he wasn't going to die, but now the dude's dead. The guy is dead. So either you lied to us, or you're not really God, or you just don't know what you're doing. And I think you got it wrong. And as I read that, I thought about my own life. And how maybe in your life, how sometimes we think God got it wrong. Sometimes we feel like God has misled us. Or like God is not aware of what we're going through. Sometimes it feels like God got it wrong. It seems like God messed up somewhere. You look at parents that lose a child. It looks like God got it wrong. It's a marriage that's ending in divorce and you're praying to God to heal it and it doesn't get fixed and you end up divorced. You think, God, you got it wrong. I, I prayed for this. It's when the doctors tell you it's cancer. You think, God, you got it wrong. 
I'm not supposed to be sick. I'm not supposed to be divorced. I'm not supposed to be childless. I'm not supposed to be single by now. I'm supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to have this. It's supposed to be this way, God. And sometimes, not only are you not going to see the glory of God, but it's going to appear like God is doing things wrong. And let's be honest in church today. We don't always think that God is up to something good. We don't always think that God is getting it right. Sometimes your life is so confusing and falling apart that you're thinking, God, I just don't know what you're doing. And what's worse is that Jesus is aware of the problem. Because I hear pastors say it all the time and I believe it and I preach it. The Lord knows where you're at right now. The Lord knows your situation. The Lord knows what you're going through. But let me tell you something. Jesus knew that Lazarus was sick. Jesus knew the problem. What bothers me is that in verse 6, the Bible says he waited two more days. So not only does it seem like now Jesus is wrong... But now it seems like he's too late. And he's doing things all wrong and all late. And not only is he late, but now it looks like he has no compassion. Because compassion says, I'm aware of the problem and I'm going to do something about it right now. I'm on my way. I'll be there. But Jesus says, he's sick. Oh, that's terrible. Let's wait, guys. Why? Because Jesus is teaching us something interesting. See, we know the end. We know that Lazarus is going to come from the grave and it's going to be better than ever. He's going to be glorified. It's going to be amazing. But see, sometimes what the Lord is saying here is Lazarus went from sick to dead to resurrected. Let's say, that, let's say it together. Sick, dead, resurrected. You know what sick is? Things are bad. But I think they can get better. That's why she sent word to Jesus. Come and heal him. As long as he's sick, I know that I have a chance. I know he can be okay. Some of you are there right now. You're in a sick season in your life. A sick season means that you're in a season that things are bad, but there's a glimmer of hope in you. You're saying to yourself, things are bad, but I believe that it can get better. I believe that things can change. I still have hope that I can keep my job. I still believe I can fix my kids and my marriage. I still have hope. I have hope. Great. But sometimes, like Lazarus, you go dead. You know what sick to dead means? You go from being hopeful to everything getting worse. He's dead. So Jesus is literally teaching his disciples, sometimes you go from bad, but maybe okay, maybe hopeful, to completely hopeless. Things get worse. And maybe that's where you're at right now. Things have gotten worse. Why don't we believe God for the better? Why is it that Christians, we die in the seasons of worse? We lose faith when things are worse. We give up hope when things are worse. And we forget a God that makes all things better. And he's about to resurrect Lazarus. But see, what really confuses me about this story is not only does it look like God got it wrong, that God has no compassion because he purposely waited and he was late. But in verse 14 and verse 15, 
I believe that Jesus says one of the most heartless things he's ever said. And as a pastor, I would talk to Jesus and say, hey, if you're going to be in ministry, you can't talk like that. You can't be like that, Jesus. We're in ministry. We got to have compassion. But Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Okay, fact. Is that true? Yeah. But here's what you don't say as a pastor. And I'm glad. I'm glad. I can't imagine doing counseling. Pastor, we're, we're thinking of getting divorced. I'm so glad. Pastor, I just lost my job. Oh, I'm glad. Imagine Jesus telling you after you told him, this is bad, this, I'm going through this. And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. How is it that Jesus is glad in a moment of this? He just finished saying he loved Lazarus and Lazarus is sick and now Lazarus is dead and he is completely gone and Jesus says to them plainly, I know he's dead, but guess what? I'm glad. I'm not depressed. I'm not discouraged. I'm not anxious. I'm not afraid. I'm not doubting. I'm not fearful. In fact, if you want to know how I feel, disciples, I am glad. How many of you are glad at your worst? Show me your hands. Can we not learn how to do this then? Can we not learn how Jesus was able to really be glad at the worst possible moment? Can we really be Christians that say, I'm going through something now. Life is hard. I know it's difficult. I'm losing things all around me. I'm falling apart. But I know that I'm not going to choose to be afraid, to be anxious, to be worried, to be moping around depressed. I know that even now I can still be glad. How, how does that happen? How does that happen? How do you maintain your gladness when things are at their worst? That's when the devil says, hey, you need to check out. You, you need to just find an escape. You need to go find something to get your mind off things because things are bad. You need to stop praying. You need to stop going to church. You need to stop believing. You know, you need to choose to be depressed. You need to choose to be anxious and afraid. You need to be down and discouraged because right now things are worse. But Jesus, not only was he glad, but in the passages, he teaches us how to do it. You guys want to learn how? Because we tend to read this story and bypass all of this. How to be glad when things are at their worst. Because as your pastor, I'm standing here assuming you're at your worst right now. Maybe you're not. God bless you. I don't like you. But maybe you're at your worst. I'm assuming. So let me preach to you this morning. Will you receive it? So through this passage, we see how to be glad. Because the Bible says that we are to model Jesus. In fact, this whole thing is about us becoming more like Christ. And if Jesus was glad at a moment of complete pain and sadness... You better believe that at the worst possible situations in your life, 
you can maintain gladness and say goodbye to depression, fear, regret, guilt. Jesus felt none of that. Let's learn this. Verse 4, number 1. When things are at their worst, the Bible says when Jesus heard this, He said the sickness is not going to end in death, but for the glory of God. For the glory of God. See, what the Bible says here, that Jesus was aware of what was going to happen. He was aware that things were going to get worse, but he was also aware that God was going to use this for his glory. See, that idea of God using things for your glory, for his glory, is when God not only shows up, but he shows off. Is when God wants to use your story to bless other people. When God wants to use you as an example. And God will use you as an example, but sometimes he's going to use your suffering. He's going to allow you to go through pain so that when he delivers you, he can show someone else, I can deliver people from pain. Just look at so-and-so. I did it for them. I could do it for you. God will get glory from your pain. God will get glory from your suffering. And we know this because no matter what you're going through, God is in complete control. You see, Jesus knew the end from the beginning. He knew God was in control. That God had a plan. And I believe that Jesus was able to remain glad because he knew that this was going to end for his glory. This was not going to be a waste. This was not going to be useless. But God was going to do something that was going to make God look real good. And he was going to use the death of Lazarus just like God is going to use whatever you're going through right now. If you would get God to just work in your life, if you would just trust him, you would see in the end you go from sick to worse to better because that better season is when you can look back and say, now I understand why God allowed it. Now I know what God was up to and now I'm able to make God look good because he did this through my suffering, through my pain. So I don't know who I'm speaking to, but I want you to know that whatever you're going through, God is going to get glory from it. And if you just embrace that, you would understand that you can maintain gladness because God is teaching us that even at your worst, we can also be glad, not because of our situation. Your situation is terrible. But we can maintain gladness because we know that God is for us, working on our behalf, in control, doing something good for His purpose. That's why Romans 8.28 is a popular verse that we really misquote. We know that God causes all things. You know the thing that we miss about this verse? The very first phrase, we know, is to have complete knowledge and trust in. Do you have complete knowledge and trust that God causes all things? Not the devil, not sin, not the world, not your co-workers, not your ex, nothing. The Bible says God, what? Causes. God causes all things to work together. So a situation in itself can be horrible, but when it works together with everything else, it will work for good for those who love God. 
You want God to work all things for good for His purpose? Show me your hands. You know what your responsibility is according to this verse? Guess what it is? Love what? God. That word love in the Greek means an unconditional choice to be devoted to. So no matter what you're going through, you make a choice. I'm going to stick with God. God cannot work all things for good for those who don't love Him. It's for those who love Him. So don't expect God to do something good when the minute life gets hard, you inject and you're gone and you're away from church, you're away from God, you stop praying, you stop reading scripture, you stop being devoted because life is hard. God says, I can't do anything with that. But if you love me, if you make a choice to remain faithful and committed to me, I promise I will work everything out for good. I promise. That's why we misread this. Because we read this verse and we think it applies to everyone. It doesn't. It applies to those who truly love God. When you love God at your worst, God's going to get glory. He says, I work all things for good for those who love me. To those who are called according to his purpose. That's why it's so hard, because right now as a Christian, you're not living for your purpose. You're living for God's. And because you're living for God's purpose, He's going to do things the way He wants to. He might hurt you a little. He might let you suffer. But we know that in all these things, God is not only going to get glory, He's going to work something good. Notice. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to his image. Do you know that when you love God and you stick with God through your worst, when it's over, you're going to be more like him in his image. You're going to come out more like Jesus. Some of you come out more like Satan after a bad situation. But the reality is when you really love God, you're going to come out better. So that's why Jesus could maintain gladness because he knew that he loved God the Father. He knew that God was in control. So the first thing you need to do is know that God is going to get glory from whatever you're going through. You need to trust Him. One of the hardest verses to read in the Bible is Isaiah 46.10. It takes a real mature believer to accept this Bible verse, but the Bible says in Isaiah 46.10 that God, I'll, I'll put it in my Bible, The Bible says, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times that which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established. My purpose will be established. And I will accomplish all my good pleasure. You know what that Bible verse is saying? I love it in the NLT. If you can find that in the NLT, it's easier to read. The Bible says that God knows the future. God knows the end from the beginning. Did Jesus not know the end from the beginning of the story of Lazarus? Because Jesus is God. Notice how it reads in the NLT. Only I can tell the future before it even happens. Whatever you're going through, God was aware you were going to go through it before you even went through it. I'm aware of your future. Everything I plan will come to pass. And here's the hard part. 
I do whatever what? I wish. Could you trust God? I do whatever I wish. So you need to learn to trust God. That he's going to get the glory out of what you're going through. He causes all things to work together. And because Jesus knew the end from the beginning, and that God was in control, and God was going to get glory, this is a, it makes perfect sense why Jesus was able to say, I'm glad. I'm not worried. I'm not afraid. I'm not discouraged. I'm not angry. I'm not bitter. I'm not doubting. I'm not confused. I'm not miserable. I'm not sad. I'm glad. Because I know that God's going to get glory, and God is in control. Number two, verse 21. Before I read this verse, I want to ask you guys a question. Let's really put our thinking caps on here. Let's really study the Bible. You guys ready? All right. Was Mary, the one in this story, a believer? All right. Did Mary love Jesus? Was she devoted to Jesus? Was she glad? No. Was she mad? Was she confused? Was she miserable? You know what that tells me? You can be a born-again, God-fearing believer who loves Jesus and is completely devoted to him and still be miserable. Am I right? And you know why Mary was miserable and she was not glad? Verse 21 says it. The Bible says in verse 21 that Mary and Martha, another believer, Martha goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, here it is. You ready? If, say it with me, if, if you had been here. My brother would not have died. You know why people today can't be glad at their worst? Because they suffer from if syndrome. You know what if syndrome is? It's when you say, if only this didn't happen. If only this would have happened. If I would not have done this, if they would not have done this to me, if I only had this, and many people cannot be glad as believers because you lived your whole life with that terrible word, if. See, if will destroy you. Because when you think about if, I would have done that. And if only this would happen. What you're doing is, you're imagining this alternate scenario that makes your present reality miserable. And the problem with the if mentality is that it takes us out of reality. And it prevents us from being grateful, from having peace. And it really places this unfair burden on us that we won't be happy. We won't be complete. 
We won't be successful until something happens. Until I get this. Until that happens. And if that doesn't happen, I'm going to be sad. And if only this would happen, I'm going to be happy. And if, and if, and if. And Martha looks at Jesus and she paints this alternate reality that if Jesus would have been here, he would have been happy. He would have been healed. We would have been celebrating. I wouldn't be miserable right now. And if Jesus was on time. And if Jesus cared. And if Jesus would have raised him. I wouldn't be living this way right now and Martha and Mary are miserable because they're only thinking about the what if and not the reality when you think only if you're going to live with regret because you're going to live with this regret that if only I would have stayed in college if only I would have dated that person and married that person and not this one if only So when you think about if, you're going to put regret and guilt. If only I would not have sinned. If only I had more self-control. If only I would have waited. If can put anger in you. Not only at yourself, but others. If only they weren't so stubborn. If only they weren't so selfish. If only they weren't so self-centered, I wouldn't be in this mess right now. If puts disappointment in you. If only God would have done it this way. If only I would have done it that way. If only I had more money, more time, more appreciation. If only I were prettier. I don't have that problem, but some of you guys might. If only I were prettier. If only I were thinner, if only this was bigger, if only this was smaller. You'd be surprised how many people, why are you surprised? I mean, you'd be surprised how many people like Martha love Jesus, believe in Jesus, serve Jesus, but have no joy, have no gladness, because they're only thinking about the if. And the second second you put yourself in that if position, it takes away what God is doing in the present reality you're in. And you can't enjoy where you're at because you're thinking of where you should be. Am I making sense this morning? And I don't want you living miserable because you're thinking about what if. What's the solution to that? Psalm 18.30. The Bible says, As for God, His way is blameless. That, that word blameless means perfect. Can you imagine now God is saying, As for God, His way is perfect. And the word of the Lord is tried. He's a shield to all who take refuge in Him. You understand that when you're thinking about if and if and if, if you would just tell yourself, but God's way is perfect. You wouldn't have to live wondering what if you would have married that person or not married that person. You wouldn't have to live what if I would have moved to that state and not this state. What if I would have taken that job and not this job. What if I would not have done. If you would just tell yourself God's way is perfect and if God wanted me to have that, he would have done it. If you understand that God's way is perfect, 
You wouldn't allow yourself to be in this torture and misery of if. So you need to abandon. This is hard to hear. But you need to abandon all your expectations of how God should have done things in your life. It takes a mature believer to abandon all expectations. Because Martha had this expectation. Jesus is going to hear me. He's going to come on time. He's going to wave his hands. And Lazarus is going to be healed. And everything's going to be fine. I know that this is how Jesus is going to do it. And how many of us have that mentality? I know that God is going to do it this way. And God is not going to do it your way. Because his way is higher than our way, the Bible says. So if you want to be glad, abandon all your expectations of how you think God's going to do it. So that you never live with disappointment. But if you live with this faith that says, I know I'm going to be married at 20. I know God's going to do it. And you're 40 and you're like, oh man, what happened, God? He's like, that wasn't my way. Well, I know God's going to heal this person. I know that God's going to make this person get saved. I know that God... Listen, stop it. And just say, Lord, I don't know anything. But I trust you. Your way is perfect. Get rid of this if only attitude. I could sit right here now and be a miserable pastor. I could sit here and say, man, if only church was more full today. If only Maria wasn't, you know, here. If only, I love you, Maria. If if only this person wasn't in my church. I've said that as a pastor before. So, man, if if this person wasn't a part of our church, I'd be happier. It's not not you guys. You guys are good. No, Alemis is here. Yeah, she's here. Um, (laughs) If only church was more full. But you know why I can confidence like there's a thousand people here because I have abandoned all expectations for God in our church I really have I don't I'm like whatever God whatever you want to do God you want me to preach by myself to this chair or my best friend Louis right there or my brother and Frankie I'll do it but if I would have come woken up this morning I know that this Labor Day weekend we're gonna be full and we're gonna be out the door and it's gonna be amazing revival I would have been miserable but you know why I'm glad? Because I came to church, submitted to God's will, humble and obedient. Can you do the same? Get rid of your if and just trust God. Number three. So understand, as we recap, know that God's going to get glory from what you're going through so you can be glad. Get rid of all your ifs and expectations of how God should do things. And know that his way is perfect and you can trust him. Thirdly, verse 22. This is a big one. You can be glad. Because Jesus looks at Mary and he looks at Martha and everything is dead. Remember, he's gone from sick to dead. From hopeful to worse. And Jesus says this powerful phrase. He says, even now. Come on, say that with me. Even now. Even now. What does your now look like? Oh, now things are bad. Now things are worse. Now things look like they'll never change. Now things look like God has just abandoned me. 
But imagine right now you're at your worst. You've lost your job, your marriage is on the rocks, you're divorced, your kids are rebellious, you're sick, whatever your worst looks like. Can you imagine that Jesus shows up and you're miserable? You're thinking if only and if, and you're just a mess. And Jesus looks at you and says, hey, do you know that even now I could do something? Hey, even now, I could fix this. You know what the devil wants to tell you? When things are at their worst, God can't work anymore. When you're at your worst, you're the worst. Even now, you might have been far from God, far from church, in sin, living in the world. The devil wants to say, right now, God can't fix you anymore. But what if God would tell a person like that, even now, at your worst with me, you can repent and come back to me. And I'll use you. I'll forgive you. Even now, he tells her, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Even now. Don't be controlled by now. Now may look bad. Now may look dead, hopeless, worse. But even now, God is challenging her to believe. You know why Jesus said this? Because Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus believing that he would heal Lazarus. Did they not? But now that that Lazarus is dead, he's trying to test them and say, hey, will you still keep believing Will you still keep asking me for that, that even though right now it's, it's hopeless? Will you still believe I can do it even though right now at the worst possible situation you're going through, do you believe that you can still see me work? Even now, will you still pray? Even now, will you keep believing? Even now, will you keep asking? Because you know what happens with us when we're at the sick stage of our lives, a sick meaning things are hopeful but bad, we pray, we believe because we have hope. But when things are at their worst and Lazarus is dead and your situation is dead, we stop asking. We stop praying because we're telling God, you are limited by my situation. You are limited by my circumstances. So you pray and you fast and you believe because you know there's a chance. But when things are completely over and hopeless and gone, you stop praying. You know what you just tell God? I have more faith in my problems than you. And he's telling Martha, will you keep asking? See, some of you, when you're in your 20s, you're believing for a husband, you're believing for a spouse, you're telling God yes every morning, wherever he's at, Lord, bless him. You're spiritual, and then you're 30, and you're like, Lord, wherever he's at, bring him now. And you're nearing that 40, and you stop asking. No, God's not going to, no. You stop asking. Because you say, why bother? How do you get out of this one? Ephesians 3.20. This is why you can be glad. Because the Bible says to him, that's God, who is able. Can we just say that together? He's able. 
Say it six feet apart from your neighbor. Say it. He's able. Do you believe right now God is able? Or is he disabled? He's able. Even now, at your worst, you can say he's able. To him who is able to do immeasurably, meaning without a standard. Don't put God in a standard. He's immeasurable in what he can do. He's immeasurable in what he knows. He is immeasurable in what he's able to accomplish. That's why you can't tell God, well, right now I don't think it's going to happen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we, what? Ask or imagine according to his power. You can ask because God has power. And because God has power, he is able. And if you remind yourself he is able, you can be glad at your worst. Are you getting this this morning? Because you need to understand that God is in a position to say to you like he did Martha and Mary, even now, I know he's dead. I know it's bad. I know you hurt. I know you're crying. I know it's hard. Even now, I want you, at your worst, to keep praying. To keep asking. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And sometimes we ask not because our asking is at our level of our circumstances. But if you're going to serve God, you're going to have to learn to ask when the circumstances don't allow you to. You're like, Lord, I don't even know how I'm asking this. But Lord, I'm just going to ask. And what if God says, okay, I'll do it. God's going to get glory from your pain. You could be glad. Get rid of your if only. That has allowed you to live in regret and guilt and anger and disappointment and abandon all your expectations of how God should have done things. You can be glad because you know that even now, God is sovereign, in control, in power, and nothing can stop Him. So I want to encourage someone here this morning, listening online or here, don't you stop asking. Don't you stop believing. But know that God is able. What a challenge. He tells Martha and Mary, will you believe? Lastly, verse 39 and 40, if you want to stay glad at your worst, Jesus said, remove the stone. Why did Jesus say, remove the stone? Well, why did he... You know, Jesus is in the business of removing stones, right? Like Easter and stuff, right? Yeah. Why did he say, you all remove it? You know why? Because Jesus said, in verse 4, this ain't going to end in death. But they buried the guy. You know what? When they put that stone over that grave, they were telling Jesus, you lied to us. You did us wrong. It's buried. It's over. And God says, you put that stone there, you're going to move it. I never told you to do that. And some of you have buried things and declared it dead that God says, it's not dead. 
And you know that. Have you ever removed a stone like that? I haven't, and I don't want to. Why? It's heavy. And imagine the struggle of all the people moving a stone that didn't have to be there in the first place. And you know what some of you are going to go through? Some of you, because of your lack of faith, are going to have to suffer more than you didn't have to. Because you have declared things dead, over, seal it, it's gone. But you know why Jesus said remove the stone also? Because Jesus was about to make things better. Jesus was about to give them a miracle. Jesus was about to prove that what he said in verse 4 was going to happen in spite of what happened in verse 14. He's not going to end in death. But then something interesting happened. Reminds me of us. When Jesus heard this, go to verse 39 for a second. I want to read this to you guys. Verse 39. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha. You know, Martha's bothering me already. I'm like, Martha, come on. The sister of the deceased said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. For he's been dead for four days. Let me, let me explain something. Don't you think Jesus knew the guy was dead for four days? Stop telling God what he already knows. Stop wasting your time telling God, Lord, this happened. God's like, oh, I didn't know that. He knows. He knows the guy's been dead for four days. But you know why Martha can't be glad? Because not only was she not aware that he was about to be resurrected and alive, but Martha was always assuming the worst and complaining. Martha was known as the complainer. And Jesus is about to work. He's like, move the stone. You're all going to see something awesome. And she's like, well, wait a minute. He's been dead for four days, and he's going to smell. Some of you, you're telling God how bad things stink. And how long it's been. And you're telling God your situation. And God knows. You want to be glad? Stop assuming the worst. Did it stink at all? Why? Because he was not dead. You see, some of you, you're quick to make assumptions. You're quick to tell God how bad it stinks. You're quick to assume the worst. Because you've stopped believing in what God can do. It's impossible for you to maintain gladness at your worst. When every situation you look at, you're telling God how bad it is. You're telling God how long it's been. And literally, she's holding Jesus back because she's just telling him how bad things are. And some of you are holding God back from what he wants to do in your life because you're wasting your time and God's on telling him how bad your life is. 
how bad things stink. You know that God is very aware of how long you've been through and what you've been through and what you're going through. God is so aware of your situation. He doesn't need you to tell him. What a waste of time. He's been dead for four days. I know that. Well, by now, and body decomposition, and you know, all this. She got all scientific. By now, his body's decomposing. It's probably down to the bone. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But hey, stop telling God how bad it is. And trust him. And wouldn't you know, Jesus just said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out alive. And as we close, I want you to get this. At that moment, Mary and Martha knew a few things. Number one, they knew that God was never wrong. Because some of you felt in the beginning, yeah, I feel like God is doing things wrong. And God is too late. And God has no compassion. But she realized that when Jesus was two days too late, it was only because he was getting ready to do something better. God has not wronged you. God is up to something better in your life. And when Jesus just called out Lazarus by name, do you realize you serve a God that one day can say in one moment, with one word, he can turn your entire life around. With one word, he can say, be healed. With one word, he can say, here it is. With one word, he can bring breakthrough. But you're wasting your time. So if you would just realize that whatever I'm going through, God is going to get glory for my pain. And I'm going to stop living with if. You're going to see God work a mighty miracle in your life. So this is what Jesus initially told Mary and Martha through this situation. You guys ready for this? All right. He said, Mary and Martha, I know it's painful. I know you're crying. I know I don't make sense right now. I know it seems like I've wronged you. Like I'm late. Like I don't care. You've served me, you've loved me, you've given me your best, and now you feel like I haven't returned the favor. But if you only knew that God is going to get glory from this, you will allow him to let it happen. Martha, if you would stop thinking if, if you will abandon all your expectations of how I should have done it, you might have more joy. You might be content. You might even have peace. And I know things are bad. I know you've gone from hopeful to worse. I know that now you're hopeless. I know now you're suffering. I know now you're depressed. I know now you're scared. I know now you've lost faith. But Mary and Martha... Even now, if you keep believing, if you keep praying, if you keep serving, if you keep asking me, if you remain faithful, 
even now, I could do something awesome. So why not stop complaining? Why, why not stop telling me how bad things are? How bad it stinks? Stop assuming the worst. Because I love you. You're my child. And with me, the best is yet to come. So will you just let me work? And trust me. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand to pray. You're at your worst. Remember, I'm assuming you're all at your worst. So right now there's depression in the room. There's sadness. Listening online, there's sadness. There's discouragement. There's guilt. There's sin. There's fear. There's doubt. But even now, you can trust God to do something amazing. So I don't know how this message applied to you, but God is getting ready to do something better. But you need to trust Him again. Let me pray for you so we can dismiss. But I want you to think about your worst right now. What do you want God to resurrect? What if God doesn't? Would you still trust Him? Lord, I thank You for this morning who've chosen to come during this holiday weekend. And Father, you have brought an amazing word for anyone that's lost their gladness. Father, I pray for anyone that came into this church or logged in online and they're just at their worst. Let them see that you're going to get glory from it. Let them abandon all expectations of how you should have done things and stop living with the if-only syndrome. Allow them to keep asking even now when things are just hopeless. And help us to see things through your eyes and not to assume the worst. Forgive us for only complaining and telling you how bad things stink. So today, Lord, as a church, we humbly step back and let you work. You do whatever you wish. For you are a God who works all things together for those who love you. So Father, I just pray this one prayer then to apply all this message. Help us to love you. You do the rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope you guys were blessed by that word this morning. Come on. Amen. Come on, give God praise. He's a good God.